welcome to Dutch Wine Apprentice, the podcast. The following podcast is an integral recording of our talk show, Seller Talks. This show was broadcasted through Instagram Live on our Instagram page. For this reason, there might be references of images shown in the show and the audio quality is affected. The full video recording of this show can be watched through our Instagram page in the IGTV section. This edition of Seller Talks Season 1, Episode 3, was broadcasted on Friday the 8th of January 2021. In this episode, we welcome James Fluellen. James is an educator in wine and the creator of a great learning tool, Wine Maps. James holds WSAT Level 4 Diploma in Wine and Spirits and is a judge for the International Wine Challenge. In the show, we discuss James's career wine study in general, and of course, the wine maps. Hi, everybody. Um, welcome to a new edition of uh, Seller Talks. And today we'll be uh, talking with James, James Llewellyn, who um, created uh, something really cool, a study tool called Wine Maps. And I'll be inviting James in, uh, in just a minute, so stay tuned. and. Uh, Let's uh, see what we can learn from James about wine study today. I see some people already tuning in, so welcome everybody who's uh, watching for the first time and also people that watched previous episodes. Uh, today we're in uh, number three, episode number three, so we've got three more planned for the first season. And let me see if James is ready to join us. Just one second. I hope everybody's doing well. Um, maybe you're already drinking a glass of wine. So if you're drinking something, please share. I'm curious to see what you're drinking. For me, it's uh, today uh, the Riesling from Wittmann, uh, the one I uh, posted about uh, the other day. So it's a great uh, Premier Cru. Uh, first, uh, Erste Lage from Wittmann, a nice Riesling wine. So um, still some left in the bottle. So that's for today. And James, I'm not sure about James, what he's doing, if he's drinking something. But um, if you guys are uh, uh, enjoying a glass of wine, uh, do let me know. Oh, great. James. That's works. Hello. Hello. I don't uh, know now what I, now working I can see you. for, but good. Here we are. Very good. Welcome. Thank you. How's things in the UK besides Corona? Because we can talk a lot about that, but... Oh, we could. We can also talk about the cold, grey weather and the the yeah the lack of daylight and sunshine. And I'm um, finding it extremely difficult to have conversations with my family, who are all in very sunny, warm New Zealand, where it's um, yeah, that's just a bit tough. But you know, that, that, that's about your origin. We're going to talk about that as well, in, New Zealand, in, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome. Uh, it's good to have you in the, in the show. I was just explaining to the audience. Um, we've got some people that are watching for uh, the second or the third time, but we'll also see some new people uh, in. Uh, I was just pulling uh, a little bit what we're drinking. Mostly it's Verdejo. So I don't know if you already opened up a bottle, but if you didn't, then Verdejo, uh, if you want to be in favor, then it's uh, the way to go at the moment. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, I don't have a Verdejo. Um... But I do have a, a similarly a couple of light, fruity, zippy white wines. So okay. that's, they're very um, um, applicable. A, a Muscadet from France, um, mm -hmm. obviously. And 
I had a delicious dry Tokai last night, so I've got a little bit of that to. Good. I know you're uh, you're always experimenting quite a lot. I mean, I've seen sometimes I see the posts uh, coming by, but you don't stick to one particular kind of wine. So I know that you're really keen on trying new stuff. So uh, yes. I don't expect too much. Uh, I expect you to go off the beaten path uh, every yeah. now and then. <laughs> yeah. Good. Absolutely. Well. Uh, once again, um, I just explained to the audience there's a question box in the bottom. So if they have questions, they can put them in there. People are already putting some uh, remarks and questions in the chat, but uh, it's difficult for us to keep up with them. So uh, let's uh, use the question box for that. Um, maybe we start a little bit with an introduction from your side. So where you where do you come from? How did you get into wine? And um, yeah, well, there's enough interesting stuff for you to talk, talk about. So let's start with that first, maybe, and I'll uh, take a sip of uh, my uh, Riesling in this case. Lovely. Um, yes, so yeah, so I, I am a New Zealander and come from, grew up in Christchurch, New Zealand in the South Island there. Moved to the UK just over 10 years ago for graduate studies. And that was really when I got into wine. So yeah, growing up in New Zealand, New Zealand is known I think reasonably worldwide now as a as a good wine making country, but when I was growing up, it was not didn't have the same reputation or the same kind of wine didn't have the same social standing. I think nowadays you go to New Zealand and everybody pretty much will drink wine. It's a normal thing, mm -hmm. but no, as a in my my background in my childhood, I didn't you know my parents started getting into wine just when I was maybe just younger than a teenager so not quite you know it wasn't like a cultural childhood sort of thing so it wasn't really until i came to the uk actually that that i started to get interested in wine and wine tasting i joined a wine tasting club at university which is how i learned the practice of wine tasting the wine tasting club focused entirely on blind tasting and actually doing this competitively so my kind of introduction to wine was maybe the not the usual introduction, but it but it was certainly very uh, became a very thorough analytical introduction, and it was a good a good grounding. Yes, and then you went uh, you've uh, you've attended Oxford, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about that because when we did the, the pre talk, we uh, talked about there's obviously always the rivalry between Oxford and Cambridge, and to my surprise, there is even now a rivalry. I don't know if you're still there. Did you catch catch the question? Yeah, yeah I, I just missed the last bit. Uh, the the okay. rivalry, yeah, between. How, how, how did you get involved in that in the tasting competition? Because that's an interesting story, I think. Yeah, it is. So, so yes, I went to Oxford University to do a PhD, um, and the university has all these clubs, all of these you know, societies. You can play football, you can play chess, you can do fencing, you can do horse riding, you can do um, I don't know graffiti art, all sorts of things you can do. And the university had not one but three wine tasting clubs at least three that i knew about there's probably a million secret societies that i was never cool mm -hmm. enough to get an invite to but there are three that i were aware of and they i learned in retrospect that you could break these three clubs up into uh 
the drinking society, the socializing society, and the society where you actually go to learn about wine. And I didn't really know this at the start, but I went for the one, the society with the cheapest membership. And mm -hmm. that so happened to be the one with all the wine geeks in it. And uh, so that's how I, how I got into, you know, the wine tasting thing. And then I turn up to this, um, the first tasting and it's in this kind of, it's not at all this like fairy tale Oxford room or whatever. It's like this brutalist 1960s building <laughs> and it's like winter and it's cold and it's like go up this like staircase and you get lost because you don't know which door you go in. Finally get in there and there's this room with, I don't know, there weren't, there was like about 20 or so of us there. So it wasn't an enormous number of people. Everyone's sitting in silence around this table, not really knowing what's going on. I sit down, you know, and then a few minutes later, someone else comes in and sits down next to me. And I recognize this guy because if you're a New Zealander, um, anyone would recognize the captain or the most recent captain of your national rugby team. Mm -hmm. And so it so happened that this, this guy was doing a, a degree at Oxford. He had just retired from professional rugby and he comes in and just sits down right beside me. And that was, you know, completely unexpected. And so then the rest of the night goes on. And then we learn that the, the wines that were being served are blind as in, we don't know what's in the glass, etc. And the, the first uh, couple of wines that they're served in pairs, um, the one of the wines there, I smell. I look at my my colleague to to my side, the the All Blacks captain, who has also mm -hmm. done the same thing. We both look at each other, and we both are thinking the same thing, and virtually say it at the same thing. Like, I think this is a New Zealand Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc. Because and this so, one, obviously, you had before. Exactly, and this is the one that both of us, the two Kiwis in the room, just you know could nail this based on smelling it. And it's you know it's obviously a very charismatic, mm -hmm. characterful wine, and it has a very distinct aroma. And and so that was my kind of first uh, wine tasting, uh, first blind tasting, which was with the seated next to the All Blacks captain, a very famous celebrity in New Zealand. Um, you know, tasting these different wines in this very eccentric um, environment. And, and yeah, so I, I thought well, this is, this is kind of fun and, and kept going back to these tastings and then learned about the principles of smelling the wine and tasting the wine and analyzing the wine and trying to, to um, identify the wine based on what you can, can smell without knowing what the bottle is beforehand. Yeah. And then a couple of months later, I was taken aside by the, the leader of the, the club who says, um, well, you do know that this, we do this competitively, don't you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> you're asking me. <laughs> and then, yeah, exactly. Then, and then he said, well, we want you to be in the team or to try out for the team. And so, so that was, um, that was a little bit daunting. I think the first time I, actually set foot in a library in Oxford was to try to memorize a lot of wine information um, to prepare for this competition that you alluded to, Niels, 
this this famous Oxford Cambridge rivalry, yeah. which is not just football, it's not just cricket, it's not just rowing, it's also competitive blind tasting. Um, and so that involved, you know, training. We were we were training on average sort of three times a week, but the, but in the kind of a couple of weeks before this this big competition, it was almost mm -hmm. every day. And we, yeah, we, and we, we had, there was a team of um, seven of us and on the, the morning, freezing morning in the middle of winter, we took the train to London and, and met at the venue there and had our, our competitive wine tasting with our arch rivals at Cambridge University. Um, so that how, was, did it, how did it end, should we ask, or? Well, it was, um, it was a mixed, It was a mixed result. Mm -hmm. um, we lost the my team, Oxford team, lost that year. But the, the kind of the the silver lining was that I was awarded the the highest prize for the the, the best um, tasting individual score, taster, the best individual tasting score. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so there was a, a kind of a mixed a mixed blessing there. That was that was quite nice to win that completely to my surprise, and it was a really good incentive for me to continue doing this. Um... It, it, it sort of brought you on the fast track for mm. wine study and developing your knowledge about wine, uh, I think maybe. Yeah, definitely. It was definitely a real kind of kickstart, like to, to, to learn a lot about wine quite in quite a concentrated period of time. And, um, and yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was an amazing kickstart. Um, it's, Yeah, it's what I think is really, really nice to do is if you can taste wine in a group of people, mm -hmm. you can learn so much more, so much more quickly. Yeah. And and these days, this group of people is arguably easier to find with mm -hmm. online yeah. conversations. But that university setting really had that um, uh, had that ability to find a find a kind of a network of people to taste wine with oh it's absolutely true because if you um i mean you can only taste so much as an individual but you you learn from what everybody else is uh, bringing to the table when it comes down to knowledge and everybody else's every person has different developed senses so also this is different obviously um so uh, then you got sort of more hooked on wine and you went into going into wsat And yep. now you're uh, a finished and a graduated diploma course uh, and well, a student, alumni, I would say yep. then. Um, so can you tell us how that went? So you went into WSAT and, and what was your, your goal or your idea behind that to, to go on with the study? Yeah, it's, yeah, so exactly so. So kind of beginning this... Um, This, uh, having a very good grounding in wine tasting with the, the wine tasting club and doing the blind tasting um, and then translating that into a formal qualification. So I went through the WNCT, completed my diploma and the, yeah, the piece of advice I'd have is don't finish your diploma when you're finishing a PhD thesis at the same time. <laughs> as it was not easy enough to do the PhD, you wanted to do the diploma course as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, um, yeah, I actually, I um, postponed the final exam of the diploma in order to finish my thesis. So oh, that, not so. a PhD. No, no, no. <laughs> a PhD was um, my ticket for my visa, so I needed to, uh, okay. I needed to finish that Fair enough. Time. 
um, so the yes I completed the diploma and the process of doing the diploma it made me aware that there wasn't quite the same well there was certainly a gap in the market I felt for an avenue of wine education of, of communicating certain elements of of mm-hmm. wine education uh, in a different way. There's plenty of wine education resources out there. Of course there are, but there were some things that I found myself kind of rewriting or re relearning or mm-hmm. synthesizing the material from the huge array of authoritative materials that are out there into something that made sense to me. And initially this was in a written book. So I, I co-authored a book on, wine and blind tasting which yeah. came out of the um the wset experience and then more recently that's could have taken uh, some different different paths as well with the wine guides which i'm sure we'll talk about in a bit yeah that's um, what we're gonna go uh, talk about yeah um yeah so that was the, but, the but, WCT. but you're also teaching at the moment i don't know if you're at the moment doing classes but you're uh you, you have teached uh, wset so you, you, you've always, I mean, you had your own experience about how difficult it is to memorize all this information, etc. But you also see students struggling with this, uh, with this topic. It's something that comes up every now and then with, with persons that study in, uh, in WSAT or any other, other course. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think having the exposure to seeing people in, you know, in, in wine tastings, to going through these, these courses, these classes, and yeah, it's, you're absolutely right. There are certain things in common with which people, uh, students uh, kind of find difficult to absorb because there's a vast amount of material in this, these WCT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And they're kind of, they're quite academic heavy, so to speak. They're, they're quite book intensive. There's lots of reading material and all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And not everyone sort of learns that effectively with that method and i know i I certainly learn in quite different ways so i think that that method really sort of different exposure to different learning styles and different teaching styles and i've done quite a lot of science and mathematics teaching as well and and Mm -hmm. sort of teaching of abstract concepts but in more concrete ways is um that's really helped me i feel as an educator and as a communicator of of wine yeah okay um i'm gonna pause here for one second because i need to get the images in i want to uh, show the audience a little bit about uh, about the wine maps which we're going to talk about so i just hold here for one second now we're back um because we're going to talk today about uh, the wine maps that you uh, that you created and you already explained a little bit how that came to burst this ID. So it's the complexity of the of the content uh, with WSET in mind, um, but it goes the same with other wine courses because we're talking now uh, in this case particularly about old world uh, knowledge for wine and uh, France in particular uh, for this case. So there's so many wines appellations. Uh, regions there are there are difference uh, differences that it's difficult to to keep track of that so then you decided to take your knowledge about learning and uh, the skills that you have on that level and combine it with the theoretical approach that 
WSET offers. Nothing wrong with that. But if you open up the book, especially if you go in WSET 3, uh, I mean, yeah, a lot of people say, okay, I've opened it and I put it away after reading a couple of pages. But you need to get through the content. So uh, then you figured there must be a different way to present this content. So what we see here on the screen is a, a snippet of, uh, of one of the sides of, uh, of the map. So maybe you can explain a little bit uh, how the maps are built up and uh, for which reasons you decided to go for first and what the idea was to, to offer an additional learning experience besides the books. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I created a set of wine guides. They are infographic wine maps, I guess is probably the best way of describing, describing them. And the idea, so they, they cover France, they cover the syllabus for both the WCT, say level two, level three. And this is kind of at a, at a more introductory level. And then I did a second set, which is what Niels is showing now, an example of one of those. And that's more for the diploma level. And I think there's other applications too. There's, there's different, um, different markets, different courses, et cetera. I think people will get a lot out of it in different ways. And the idea behind them is to, to have, a, have a summary of the relevant things you need to know. And we're looking at the Burgundy guide that I developed. And this has a written summary of the, the geographical context, as well as the major grapes and the climate and things like that. And then there's some interesting facts and figures, which I think puts Burgundy in this example into context with other wine regions uh, in France and, and elsewhere. And then we have a stylized map, which is what we're seeing on the screen now. Um... You want me to switch to a bigger? Uh, I have a bigger picture like this. Yeah, one that, that one's that one's great. Yeah, e yeah, either of these. So it's um, so as you can see with that, it's not a cartographically precise map because I found in my you know the the World Atlas of Wine is an amazing document, but there's so much information there. You know, contour lines and these other villages and these little tiny ponds and lakes and all mm -hmm. sorts of things which um which kind of which doesn't necessarily aid you in the overall grand picture of what you're trying to learn so yeah. i tried to simplify distill this information into a more stylized infographic form and these um, the boxes have the uh useful information uh for each region like the a pie chart which breaks down your your red production your white production your rosé etc um the the major grape varieties a little summary of the the terroir um the, the the area the volumes um things like that so so that's the idea the the sizing of each of these regions um the box the 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 kind of the colored boxes they approximately represent the amount of wine like you see the green one the macon is big because not just because yeah. it's a big region but it produces the most volume of wine in burgundy so there's so a lot of... already in perspective if you look at sizes and yeah, like, like you said, it's not meant to be cartographically 100% correct, but it's more for an easy understanding. And then you have to sometimes exaggerate a little bit to make it more yeah. clear. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So and I, I had, I've got quite an interest in, in graphic design and, and map making as well. And the idea of displaying something, a lot of 
information data visually uh, some complex information, but as, as simply as is possible um, and making something very data rich, but clear was the goal of yeah. these modern guides. So, and then you, uh, you have two sets uh, that you created. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the differences between the two, because I'm using yeah. the pictures uh, 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 for the audience. The pictures are uh, made from both sets. So there is a difference between the two sets. Uh, maybe you, you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, exactly. So I did two sets. The, the, one, of the, one of my kind of design philosophies is that you present the relevant information, but you don't over-present. You don't present too much information because then that becomes overwhelming. So I feel that if you are just beginning your journey into wine, serious wine study, which is kind of WCT level two to level three yeah. and similar courses, you know, French wine scholar and other similar, um, similar approaches, then you don't want all of this information about all of these, these, you know, very data heavy things. So the first set I developed is a so-called introductory guide. And there's a set of five guides in this set and it covers all of France but not in the same amount of detail so there's there's Burgundy and Beaujolais, Bordeaux, Southwest, the Loire, the Rhone, um, this the south of France doesn't have as much information on it because that's not a big part of the syllabus you know Provence and other other and Languedoc appellations but overall with these five but it should guides, be enough to get you through, through uh, until level three so basically uh, if you're using the maps you're not missing out on anything um and yeah what you need is in there that's what's Ex the story exactly yes you do you there's there's everything you need and nothing you don't need in, yeah. in this set of five guys because something. that's in the book what you don't need <laughs> exactly yeah that's kind of you clear that out yeah. um and that's in so that's the level three and then beyond that, there's a series of 11 guides, actually, which covers in a lot more detail these, the appellations, um, the, the whole regions of France. So it includes some lesser known regions, there's a whole guide dedicated to Provence, to Eastern France, to, you know, the Jura, Savoie, um, obviously Alsace. And these guides go into more detail. They include more appellations. There's a bit more kind of technical information about the the volumes of wine produced um, in each in each mm -hmm. appellation. And yeah, just just overall a bit more detail. Um, there's more kind of um, comparative graphics like the the pie charts that that tell you the proportion of Merlot grown in Bordeaux, for instance. It's yeah. sort of when you're getting to your diploma level, that's the sort of information that is really necessary for you to get this deep understanding. But I tried to present it in a very clear way. Oh, I think that the nice thing is is that you uh, you not you don't only talk the talk, you walk the walk, and you did it yourself because you finished a diploma course, so you went through that level, you're still doing the teaching, so you get feedback uh, still every day when you're uh, communicating with other people. And now people are using your maps, so you get feedback from those people as well. So what is the, let's say, when you first came out with the maps, what was the, let's say, the feedback that you got most, what you were thinking, like, okay, I, I had an idea when I started this, but this was not what I was, I had in mind, or this is a surprise, surprise that came up that I didn't have, I didn't think about when I started the ID. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And the, these maps have, have kind of been in my head for probably two years or so. And then I launched them at the end of, towards the end of last year mm-hmm. um, in September. And they, yeah, I think overall they've been really positively received, which has been really, really wonderful to to get feedback from people saying, I really appreciate this. And, and these have been very useful for my wine studies and the great gifts for my relative or friend or somebody mm-hmm. who's really into wine. And, and that's been really nice. The, the one thing there, so two things, I initially conceived of these as posters. Mm-hmm. So quite large, large format posters. And I, all of my, my artwork and design, I, I still have, and I'm, and I'm still trying to think of the best way of maybe presenting the, the information as, as large posters. So that's, something i'm still working on still optional yeah still optional um but I, I couldn't find a good printer at the time that could could deliver economically the large yeah. scale posters so i i pivoted to the 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 format which you see which actually i can show you've got you. them at hand right so you can because yeah, now I'll i'm show showing you. snippets but it's better to see the real yeah. yeah so you can see the kind of you know it's a the piece of paper here um this is the bordeaux one we yeah. see then there's the back and you can open it up and in this case now we see the nice a, maps yeah so it's a nice kind of three three folded thing there's a little this one is a little zoom in of the medoc area mm-hmm. um so the idea with these is that it's it's kind of you know you can put it in your your laptop bag or your handbag yeah. or your if you have some spare bag. time you just take it out and you can just start Ah, going through it, freshing up, fresh up your memory on certain topics. Exactly. Yeah, you can take it out. You can, you know, when we don't have a, a lockdown or a or a pandemic, you can go to mm-hmm. a wine bar and 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 take your take your guide out and sit with your glass of wine and um, and enjoy uh, that. And but but it is a it is an analog tactile thing, which I um, really. I, I, I'm really drawn to things which are which are paper because that's how typically I I tend to learn. I don't like, you know, so much screen time all the time. But one of the things that did go through my head is is would this be better as a, you know, a digital some kind of digital format? Yeah. Um, yet I think I've had exactly two people request it as a <laughs> digital format so far. Yeah. So that. That was kind of interesting feed. Well, the absence of that feedback, I suppose, did tell yeah. me that I think there is a sort of a market for this analog tactile thing you hold in your hand and you have your glass of wine with it. You can, you know, you have your notebook with it. You write your notes as well. Um, yeah. That was, yeah. So that was, that was kind of good. And well, otherwise, I, I, I agree. And especially because they're so compact, compact and then it, it makes it easy there is no objections to keep them with you or put them somewhere where they're uh, at hand so um when it's digital okay you have to browse and through your documents try to find them again and uh, it's it's nice it's not a big book you need to carry around so in that sense it's uh, totally understandable so and then you started with france obviously because uh well i know because i did wset 2 going into three that it's uh, a lot about france obviously yeah. but um what are the next steps you're already thinking about uh ids for other countries or a request that you got in i have a request but we'll talk about that later 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So that it's uh, it's been really, really humbling to receive such great feedback from everyone who's who's received these guides so far. That's been really, really nice. And then probably the most um, most uh, most frequent feedback I get is which uh, which region are you going to do yeah. next? So it's, which is really, really, really. Uh, if, wonderful. if you're gonna do one, maybe you're gonna stop after this uh, success. But yes, but no, when you're is right. Italy coming? I already see one. Yeah. Maybe, you got that. Maybe you got that and more. It's a difficult country. Let's put it like that. Oh my goodness. Yes, I would. Um, I, I chose chose France because, as you say, the WSET is fifty percent France almost, yeah. um, and you know, for for good reason and great. That's that's nice, and I've really enjoyed going into um, the detail there. Um, but yes, I would would love to do some more regions, and I think they will be coming soon. I'm still still having a think about which one to do next, and I see the comments about Italy coming being a challenge. And yeah, oh my goodness, it um, it's a little. You only talk about the, the the grapes. Where I think we're talking. There's the book, a thousand on one grapes from Italy. <laughs> I don't think it covers all of them, but that's just <laughs> one aspect of the whole the whole story, obviously. Yeah. One element. So the kind of my idea of taking complex information and presenting it in this sort of simplified yeah. format will, will meet a, an even bigger challenge, I think, with yeah. with uh, Italy. Um, but yes, I would would absolutely love to do some more, and and I think my next my next release will uh, be something fizzy, mm -hmm. so you can read into that what what you want um and then beyond that doing something a bit more uh, in another country would would be the goal but um i'm very much open to seeing what people would would most like me to look at next i mean the wset teaches you wine from all around the world and i have a mm -hmm. have a strong interest in in just global wine in general so i'm not um not averse to to tackling ah, it would be uh, nice with your background from new zealand to uh, also include new zealand obviously and australia maybe i mean yeah there's uh, to be honest and, and this is where, where the question comes in that i got from our previous guest vanessa and she uh, i i always ask uh, our guests do you have a question for the next uh, next show and uh, um, she said okay i don't have a question but i have a request can you think about would you like to think about different countries that are not so highlighted uh, because there's a lot of people obviously talking about there's a good reason why you picked france but there's also a lot of people talking about france yeah. and if you would like to get some uh, more detailed information for example about uh, rioja or mendoza that's uh, really hard to come by and uh, well, her request was would it would it intrigue you and would, would it like let's say be interesting for you to go a little bit in a different direction and do something like that yeah definitely I'm, it could be new zealand in that perspective as well yeah yes it yeah definitely could be and and i also am really drawn to to countries and to regions which are sort of underrepresented in the global wine market but even i think this was really interesting for me even within france and i think yeah. my wine guides actually go beyond certainly the 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 more complete series they go beyond the wset syllabus actually I agree. Yeah. um 
because I, I included Corsica as an example and yeah. the Jura, the Savoie, Bougie, uh, quite a lot of appellations in Roussillon and Languedoc and the southwest of France, which is are not very well known and they're not, not no. really covered. The, the, I love wines from the Loire Valley and so often you, you just see a certain, you know, you see a Sancé, Citorin, you see a Muscadet, but um, you don't see Courchevenie too often. And so yeah. there's some really, some of these are kind They're of... still very much hidden, hidden gems still there yeah. for a larger audience at least. And not for the experts, but there's, a, there's only a couple percent of those if you yeah. want to talk about real experts. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. So I really enjoyed sort of finding these hidden gems within within France. And some of that was extremely rewarding. And the yeah, but in terms of countries, I think um, the Netherlands is a good option. Somebody said, but I'm, <laughs> I'll give you a tip. If you want to think about the Netherlands, uh, uh, make it one with the UK included or England, because yeah. you cannot fill one with uh, the south of England and you can combine <laughs> it with Holland, then it will be one probably enough for one uh, one match. right <laughs> but we've got some new good wines coming up but it's uh, a fairly flat country literally and, and figuratively as well so uh, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe combine that one with you with england <laughs> sounds good <laughs> what's your take what's your take on english wine because i can ask you that i know you uh, you also drink some some fair uh, uh, amount of english wines as well every now and then yeah, I do. I'm. I really like English wine, and I think it's going in a really exciting direction. Mm -hmm. um, especially if you are in England, where I mean, English wine is not cheap, even in England, but it's probably even more expensive on the export market. Um, so it's a gimmick. It's, it's a gimmick for a lot of countries outside of the outer side of England. So you pay. You can pay more for that. Obviously, it's not a. Yeah, it's kind of a novelty factor too, yeah. but. There is some extremely high quality English sparkling wine. People mm -hmm. kind of compare it to champagne. It's different to champagne overall. There's, mm -hmm. the, the technique is the same. And there's a lot of, you know, the, the grapes tend to be Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, sometimes Pinot Meunier as well. Um, but there's some other things in common, maybe with German winemaking, German grapes, German uh, hybrids and German developed clones because mm -hmm. the climate isn't too dissimilar from you know parts of Germany northern more northerly central parts of Germany and so there's this the sparkling wine movement but then there's some really interesting still wines and actually mm -hmm. extremely high quality still wines coming out and then there's the kind of hipster movement as well and there's some the orange some wine and orange yeah. wine the Kvevri wine the the kind of here's a strange variety that nobody makes or some some hybrid varieties which you can't do um on continental europe because they are sort of banned by the the general eu framework for like well in holland you can so i think if you dive into it you see that we have uh, in that level quite some similarities because there are also mm -hmm. a lot of crosses in uh, in holland i mean uh, well we don't have these regulations we don't have appellations we don't i mean yeah. you can pretty much do whatever you want here so from that perspective it's uh, comparable i guess yeah yeah no that's interesting yeah that's and I, I, I to be honest i i, I had only one uh, english wine a sparkling one night timber 
and I think it's really great. I mean, uh, it's also internationally still quite uh, uh, well known and, and also uh, drank in, in, in Holland in, in better restaurants. And um, uh, I think uh, if, if I read up, uh, it's getting better. Of course, there's the, the topic of climate uh, uh, changing and, and warming. So uh, it will get open up even more opportunities as it's uh, been proven to be in Germany, for example, as well. Uh, in some of the regions that had difficulties in the past, uh, look at the Mosul where they had in the 60s and 70s even years in a row that they couldn't get the grapes ripe and now it's a mm -hmm. matter of being too hot so I think it's gonna in the end it's gonna help but it's nice to see it, those developments as well so uh, yeah. yeah it is and I think you're right things will, will only will only improve not not just the climate change because I think even change is the operative mm -hmm. word it might get a little bit warmer but it'll get wetter it'll get windier yeah. it'll, it won't be any easier to do viticulture I don't think no. um it'll be there's still a lot of work hard work and that will never go away that's indeed I see a comment uh is there an English wine I can <laughs> recommend um the the my kind of more recent discovery has been a producer called Westwell which is based in Kent, a small-ish pr production, beautiful, beautiful sparkling, traditional method sparkling. And they do a grape called Ortega, another German grape. Mm -hmm. And what I find really interesting is that you can get Ortega from them in, I think, three or four different styles. As in, you, they make it a rosé with... Um, with a bit of Pinot Noir to make it pink. They do a mm -hmm. straight Ortega. They do an Ortega skin contact and then an Ortega aged in amphora. And it's just kind of really amazing what, what this, this example showed me is really amazing the different expressions you can get from one particular grape in one particular place. And so I thought in terms of innovation, that's... Um, I mean, Making that's, that's, the most that's of what a, you've got. That's a good thing. I mean, uh, and then you see that uh, in new world countries, if ever you can call it like that, so they have the freedom to experiment a little bit. We've even seen this in South Africa, which you cannot call new world really anymore because already yeah. 100 years or more, there is a, a good wine industry there. But it changed in the last 20, 25 years a lot with people uh, going abroad, studying, and, and also in Germany, for example, picking up those, those crosses uh, in Holland is... The same thing happens. I think uh, if you look at it, it's a, it's a good thing because we don't need to. I mean, there's already enough really Chardonnay. Uh, let's yeah. try to go with something else and, and also uh, maybe also attract other people into drinking wine because sometimes it's just about uh, this flavor that you're missing. Uh, and, and well, some new varieties can add to that as well in that perspective. Definitely, yeah. Well, there's those thousand and one plus uh, varieties in Italy yeah. that you mentioned before, Neil. Yeah. Well, they're even reviving all the old ones, and in Spain, that's happening as well. I mean, we see some, mm. some nice stories of grapes coming back to life there now as well. So that's really cool. Um, yeah. So uh, maybe one of the last questions I have is: Do you have? Of course, you have. But what would be your advice for people uh, going into WSAT, and that can be level two, level three? Uh, le let's say level two and level three for now um, when they start studying? Yeah, I think um, a couple of things. It's, it's finding the, the way of learning that suits you. I feel as though the course is quite, mm -hmm. uh, is quite book heavy traditionally, but there are so many resources, whether it's kind of infographic wine maps, which is my thing. There's YouTube videos, 
there's other ways Instagram. of getting in it. There's Instagram. There's so much information out there. It's kind of finding what works for you and spending a bit of time to identify how your learning is. Dedicating some, some time. I think that's key. You need to be a little bit disciplined and saying, right, for, you know, uh, whatever, one hour every couple of days I do my, my study or however, whatever the timetable works for you. But always try to keep it fun. I think mm -hmm. that's important. How do you do that? All sorts of ways. Do, you know, enjoy the tasting. Try to find some people to study with or to communicate with online. The whole, for me, the whole point about wine is sharing and having fun. And mm -hmm. there is a danger with doing these studies is that it gets a bit too technical. It gets a bit too heavy, a bit too intense. So always just try to try to have fun, keep it light, find other people you can yeah. work with, study with, and, you know, make it work for you. Oh, I agree with all the uh, free content and additional content that's available. Um, it's easy to learn and, and uh, to, to really get uh, uh, deep into a certain topic using uh, YouTube, Instagram, etc., etc. And And the maps like this, they really add to that, uh, I think. I mean, we can't say that two people uh, uh, leave the books and drop them because, I mean, it's part of the course and it's yeah. necessary. But in the end, uh, um, these courses are, in my experience, always quite compressed as well. Because if mm. you talk about WSET2, it's only about six or seven um, um, uh, um, uh, lessons. Yeah. And, and a tree is about 10. So if you look at, uh, at what you need to know in a certain period of time, we're talking about two months, three months, maybe. And mm -hmm. people, a lot of them, a lot of people are actually, they have a job or they uh, go to school. So they have other stuff to do. And then when you think about what you need to get into your head in two, three months, it's quite a lot. So in that perspective, uh, getting help with, with maps, for example, like this, I think it's really a smart thing to learn. Uh, like this and um, well it's uh, a really a good addition to uh, what's already on uh, on the market there mm, thank you yeah okay. Um, okay I think we uh, already got some questions in between I don't see any questions in the uh, question box for now but uh, for the audience if you still have questions you can uh, drop them in there uh, or uh, in the chat because now I can, I can keep up um, if we talk about uh, the next guest uh, Elisabeth Moots is going to join us from Weingut Rappenhof and uh, the really uh, typical German nice name Rappenhof they're a VDP uh, winery so uh, for those who don't know VDP is uh, well the uh, organization of uh, the let's say the top wine producers in Germany so they do all the uh, certifications they have the uh, uh, different wine uh, levels uh, they're the let's say the creme de la creme from the, the German winemaking industry and Rappenhof is uh, mainly producing Riesling but we'll talk with her about uh, the wine good who's been, that's been in the family since the 1600s I think so um, it's hard to find countries where you find wineries uh, on every corner that are let's say four or five hundred years old but in Germany that's uh, still uh, quite easy to do. Um, do you have a nice question for Elisabeth about Riesling, about Rheinhessen, about uh, German wine maybe? I don't know. Well yeah I do but it's more about the 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 family run that's a good thing winery. Yeah. Um, yeah as I understand it as you said Niels um, uh, Weingut Rappenhof has been around for four centuries in the same family. And that is mm -hmm. just astonishing. Yeah. Um, and I, 
kind of wonder if there's ever sort of what is Elizabeth's relationship to that tradition? If there's, does it ever feel daunting or intimidating or heavy to kind of carry on this tradition? Or maybe there's a, some excitement of using this tradition to, to be able to move in different directions. So that's, that's my question. What's her relationship that's a, that's a to, the, to, the, to, to this tradition, to the history, and how does she see that as it goes into the future? I think it's a very good question. I, I was wondering the same thing when I was in Germany in the summer visiting. Uh, uh, I visited 1717, yes. Uh, well, despite Corona, I managed to visit 17 wineries in Germany, but uh, a lot of them also really old family-owned wineries. And I always was surprised because it, it sounds nice, but it's also difficult to find somebody in the family to have kids to be... Uh, to, uh, that like to take over the uh, the heritage and even if you take over the heritage what can you touch what can't you mm -hmm. touch because you might want to change some certain things but on the other hand you're you're not going to mess too much with four centuries of history uh, in the end yeah. so i think it's a good question let's see what she uh, comes up with uh, as an answer okay thank you very much for your time james uh, welcome thank you it's been a pleasure talking to you for everybody who's uh, intrigued by the wine maps now uh, i can advise them to go to your website yes indeed jamesflewellen.com yes exactly yep okay. and um they will find that there's the two sets of wine maps and of course we're yep. uh, very much looking forward to whatever is going to be the next uh, project but uh, i'm sure that uh, I, I know you do a, a good and uh, cool uh, newsletter so if the people sign up to that as well they'll probably get the latest news when there we is something the else news. brewing yep. yes it will really be yeah advanced thank advanced you. warning advanced deals yes indeed very good okay so thank you very much for the time there is no more questions so let's uh, call it a, a wrap for now and um everybody thank you for watching and uh well hope to see you next week on friday night uh, for another edition of the seller talks thanks james thanks niels okay bye-bye bye-bye thank you for listening to this podcast be sure to visit us on instagram at dutch underscore wine underscore apprentice and check out our website www.dutchwineapprentice.com for the latest news and content. You can also subscribe to our newsletter through the contact section of our website. <music>